Hi, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Our Right Stories, a podcast created and developed by the Just Right Scotland team with your host, Natalia. Today's episode features Maria and Emma from PILS, Public Interest Litigation Support. Tune in as this team from Northern Ireland tells us what PILS is, what support they provide cases, their soon-to-be-released toolkit, and the most recently launched podcast, To Be Fair and I. Thank you for joining us on Our Right Stories podcast. Today we have special guest, Emma. Hi, Natalia. Hi, and also Maria. Hi, Natalia. Hello, welcome you both. Um, Maria, can you tell us a little bit more about your title and a little bit more about your role at PILS? Sure, yes. Um, PILS stands for Public Interest Litigation Support, which we always feel we have to say in case there's any um, misconceptions about what we are. Um, but the PILS project essentially was set up in 2009 um, to support the legal community and NGOs in Northern Ireland who are advancing public interest litigation. That is, it impacts more than just one person. It's uh, about supporting that sort of strategic approach. Um, and all of the cases that we support have a human rights or equality issue at the, at the heart of them. So our support services range from uh, training, education, right through to providing pro, pro bono opinions through our pro bono register, um, as well as supporting cases um, in the advancement of litigation by way of financial support or legal support. So that could be fees for um, lodging papers in court, supporting with experts fees, or um, the, I suppose, other service that we're probably less well-known for, but we're using a bit more this year is our legal support and that I maintain my practicing certificate. Um, so I can be instructed on behalf of any of our members if they don't or aren't otherwise able to access the solicitor. Um, so my role in the organization is that I am the director and the solicitor, um, which means that I have responsibility for the overall day-to-day -day management and direction of the organization. Um, we have a small but mighty team, as we say, um, of four full-time staff members, and we're supported by a board of trustees, um, five very professional and fantastic people who support us in our work and also make decisions on any, any of the cases that we support in terms of financial or legal support. That's amazing. And I love that you say small but mighty as well. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to bring you in. Could you tell us a little bit more about your role and job title and post? Sure. My role with PILS is the senior engagement lead. And what that means on a day to day basis is that I am helping to get the news out there about all of those services that Maria was talking about, to share those with the legal community and with local human rights organizations, to show people who are curious about what the law can do, to show them what we do to show them the impact, the positive change that we are hopefully bringing. Um, so that could be a mix of all of these things. It could be my day could be editing blogs for our website. It could be uh, talking to people for our own podcast. That's probably a bit cheesy to plug our podcast on your podcast, but there I did it anyway. Um, could be organizing online or in-person events. Um, I also support Maria with some of the reports and the case studies and the impact work that we share with our funders and our supporters. So basically it's it's any and all of those things to get the 
news about the difference that the Pills Project makes out into the world. So that's what I'm doing. And that's amazing. And it's not tricky at all to, to bring in the podcast. And I hope, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. <laughs> Um, but I know pills, like you both have mentioned, stands public interest litigation <laughs> support. So what does this mean? And more so, how does your organization choose a case? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, the project was set up in 2009 as a pilot project, as I've already said, following research, which indicated that there are barriers to organizations advancing um, litigation in human rights and equality issues. Um, and so our organization was set up to try and tackle some of those barriers and to break them down. And really the barriers are the knowledge barriers and often um, the financial barriers. So we're there to provide that support and that key link for whether it be a solicitor firm or an NGO who wants to either get information which will support or um, advise or guide them in a particular issue um, or it might be um, supporting by way of that financial assistance to be able to take the case forward. Um, so I, I think it's probably best to maybe give you a couple of examples of the type of, of cases that we've supported over, supported over the years. Um, and one of the big ones for us, which really came out of um, the peace settlement here in Northern Ireland and Belfast Good Friday Agreement, one of the strongest themes of that was um, in relation to supporting integrated education. So PILS was um, there when it um, was approached by our member, the Integrated Education Fund, when they wanted to challenge the Department for Education in relation to not uh, meeting its statutory obligations in that regard. And we were able to match um, the Integrated Education Fund with a member from our pro bono register to provide an opinion and to draft um, basically pre-action correspondence which has resulted in the Department for Education then changing its strategy to enable more integrated education places to be made available in Northern Ireland and ultimately avoided litigation because through the pre-action letter, the Department for Education acknowledged and accepted what was being said and ultimately changed um, their strategy as a result. So that's one example of one of our cases, a more recent example, um, and we might come on to talk about it in a little bit more detail later on, but it's what we call our clean air challenge, um, which in which we have supported Friends of the Earth, NI. Um, and again, that started with a pro bono, um, an application for pro bono support where they came to us in 2018 and said, look, we've identified this failure of the Department for Infrastructure in Northern Ireland. Um, and ultimately uh, challenged their 17-year-long failing to properly test diesel emissions in private cars in Northern Ireland. So they've had that statutory responsibility to do so. They introduced a legally compliant test in 2006, and four months later, they stopped that test because of the dangerous buildup of fumes in MOT test centres. And since that time, basically, private cars in Northern Ireland have been driving around and emitting as much um, emissions into the air as they've been uh, 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 as they've done, because no one has been carrying out a test and stopping those cars which are polluting the the air in, in uh, great quantities. So we provided them uh, friends of the earth with pro bono support to get the opinion to direct which was the best challenge. Um, and then the team that we identified at the start have remained with the case and are now providing legal representation on a pro bono basis in the 
um, case, which is gone, which is going through the judicial review court, I should say. Um, and it developed from pro bono support into uh, financial support because we were able to provide the fees to lodge the papers in court. We were also able to support with um, getting an expert's opinion, which supported the proceedings. Um, then on to a cost indemnity in the event that the case were to fail. And finally, with legal support, because just before the summer, when unfortunately the first day of hearing was pushed back from June to September and the in-house solicitor at Friends of the Earth was going off on maternity leave, they needed a solicitor to step in. And thankfully, we were able to provide that again, that key link to be able to um, allow the litigation to continue. So that's a kind of a case that um, really exemplifies the full range of our support right through from pro bono, identifying the challenge, identifying the, the correct um, legal course to take, and then ultimately supporting it right the way through the proceedings in court. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, to be fair, you took the questions like <laughs> that I had out of my mouth and, and, and that's amazing. And the way you explain that is like it's so interesting for pills to be in each like different part and be able to provide that support like you were saying like there's holes or if there's things that come up you guys were able to kind of step up and and you have that kind of partnership and connection with friends of the earth which again I'm sure is like deeply rooted in the trust that you've built with that um I was kind of curious if you could tell us a little bit more about why this case is so important sure yeah um I think for us, it's so important because it's about the air that we all breathe. So everyone in Northern Ireland is ultimately impacted by this failure of the government. And to some, some people might sell it as a very technical environmental issue when we're talking about particulate matter and um, the diesel emissions that come out of the exhausts of cars. And also, I think it can sometimes be twisted as some kind of um, gripe that we have against diesel car owners when it's absolutely not that at all. It's about the responsibility, the people who govern us to make sure that our public health is protected. And particularly when we talk about um, children and young people, and one of the, um, the, the case has benefited from a third party intervention by the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People because of the significantly adverse impact that this has on children and young people. When you think about it, cars and their exhausts emit fumes right at the level of people who are smaller, um, children in prams, often the buildup of cars and congestion and ultimately fumes happens outside schools and areas in which children are playing. Um, and then, you know, there are other demographics who are adversely and more adversely impacted as well, like older people. Um, and this is about so many pockets of society. And, and as I say, all of us, because we're all breathing the air. Um, and in 2011, um, the Department for the Environment, as it then was, um, revealed that over 550 deaths in Northern Ireland um, are caused as a result of high pollution levels or come from um, illnesses that are caused by high pollution levels. So, you know, this type of case, as I say, can be maybe made out to be very technical or very environmental. But when you break it down, this is about people. This is about the air that we breathe. This is about our environment. Um, and we just see it as so important, not only for the impact that it has on the people living here, 
but also, also about holding our government to account. It's in the legislation. The Department for Infrastructure should be carrying out this test, and it's not. And it has admitted that it's not. But what is it doing about it? Um, so that's where Friends of the Earth and Pills and the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People step in and actually bring them to court and, and get them to stand up to their responsibilities. Yeah, that sounds like such an important like stance to take as well. And then to be able to kind of hold government account, I think, is that initial accountability, which I think is yeah, it's just so important. And you did say in the beginning when you were explaining, like it's it's very it sometimes can be very difficult with this messaging and especially with all the things that are happening around um, you know, climate change and how that kind of affects communications. Kind of want to bring you in on this. Um um, how is it working with comms around this kind of case and, and what are kind of some of the difficulties that you find? I think probably um, Maria's touched on quite a bit of it already. Initially, we knew that when we were talking and explaining the grounds that the case was going to be taken on, because obviously one sector of the groups that we work with. One audience is the legal community. So obviously they're very interested in, okay, what are the particular grounds and what element of which piece of legislation are you going to be tackling? And when we explain that, then sometimes I think it can be sort of misconstrued that that's the only thing that we care about, you know, that we're very, you know, ex you know, excited about MOT testing and that the message around, well, what's actually the key goal of this case, what is the actual endpoint that we want can sometimes get a little bit lost, which is why I think for us, when we are involved in one of those partnerships, Natalia, as you say, when we're collaborating with other organizations, for us, it's always very key to bring it back to those first three letters of our name is public interest litigation. The reason that pills are ever involved in a collaboration is because there is a wider story to tell. And that's something that everybody should be very concerned about. It's something that will affect huge swathes of society. A case like this affects everybody because, you know, the air that's built up in an urban area doesn't stay there. It flows over all of us. So, you know, arguably it's, a, it's an entire island issue as well. Um, so I think that's for us what is key to keep bringing it back to is why did we get involved in the first place? Because that is where the wider public interest is. I know that your colleague Barbara has been talking about the same type of focus that the Scottish Just Law Centre has. And I mean, it sounds from from hearing, from, from having met um, Barbara and, and talking to Jen and everybody that's involved in Just Right Scotland, that's a very key focus for 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 them as well. Um, so I think that's something that we we are always quite clear on is that if pills are getting involved, there is something bigger here. And um, I suppose we're quite lucky in that when we're involved in a case as well, I think it sort of it can it can add a little bit of solidarity and it can kind of boost the the arguments that our members have been making um, because that's one thing I think about public interest litigation too is that it can be quite a lonely space at the start um, you know it might be individuals or one local group that are raising that are raising these issues and maybe you're getting nowhere nobody chooses to run into court as a first option so um, this is kind of we're getting into last resort territory whenever whenever pills get involved and, and we're going to court so I think the messaging as well is is usually 
in in a sense of solidarity and it's around you know standing beside communities and, and, and indeed who are often the experts have been organizing maybe around a particular issue for months or even years so I think that's what the, the common theme I think through all of our our cases and all of our messaging is around ultimately the why why are pills involved and creating that that sense of solidarity around an issue and knowing that people people aren't on their own that other people are getting involved and other people care I love that message and build, I mean both building on the solidarity and collaboration I know you're developing an online toolkit to help guide fellow human rights organizations through the process of building public interest cases. Um, can you give us a little more details about this project and other current projects you guys are working on? Absolutely. Um, at the very outset, when we're talking about the toolkit, I have to give a shout out to our colleague, Hilary Perry, who's our membership coordinator, who has done a huge amount of work on putting this particular publication together. Um, as Maria was was talking about at the start, we have quite a, a wide remit for quite a small organisation. And one of the things that we're very keen to do as a membership organisation, so we aren't necessarily working or providing frontline legal advice, but we're acting as a, a support to all of those frontline organizations. So we're kind of boosting their work. So a lot of what we want to do is about capacity building, I suppose, is the is the formal civil society term for it. But really, it's about translating some of the legal processes into language and, and processes that everybody can apply and everybody can understand. Um, we are putting together an online resource, um, as you've said. So it's our public interest litigation toolkit. So hopefully once it is published, it will be a one-stop online shop for any information that organizations primarily based in Northern Ireland, but I mean, everybody is welcome to read it, but it's written for human rights organizations who are maybe thinking about using the law alongside their traditional tools of campaigning or advocacy or lobbying or whatever it is, um, and building that in as another mechanism to create change. What we are hoping is that this is the starting point. So we will have um, the toolkit. It'll be based on our website. Anybody can go on and read through information either, you know, from start to finish, you know, as if you were flicking through almost a hard copy guide um, or you can search and pick and choose the information. Maybe you've been in a meeting with somebody and they've been using particular terminology and you're thinking, what does that mean? There'll be a glossary. You can go in and look at that. We're going to cover everything from an introduction to what is public interest litigation in the first place? Um, because that is usually the most popular page on our website is explaining that. So we we dig into that in the toolkit, but then we also talk about the practical side of things, you know, the considerations and the questions that your organization might want to ask itself before it starts to dip its toe into the world of legal proceedings. Um, obviously costs are something that everybody has at the front of their mind when they're thinking about starting litigation potentially. So, so we go into that and we, we're, we're quite clear about um, potential risks, but also the benefits, um, the pros and the cons of taking litigation. Um, and as well, going into, Maria was mentioning third party interventions earlier on in terms of the, the clean air case, we talk about that as well. So we're sort of hoping to, to guide people um, from the very initial idea of taking a, a case in the public interest to court all the way through to how do you make sure that if you get a positive result 
How do you make sure that that can be implemented? How do you communicate around that? How do you spread the word and make sure that whatever actually happens in court, if it is positive, it's translated um, into real life? And, and hopefully this will be a starting point. So we'll have the toolkit and it'll be on our website. But hopefully as well, what we want to do is we don't want to be gatekeepers to this information. It's not that we're saying um, you have to come and you have to take litigation and, you know, there's a particular road that you have to go down. We hope that it will be something that people can use as and when they need it. And we're planning to do some training sessions as well. Um, we don't just want to throw the toolkit out into the world and, and leave people to it. You know, there's there's various points throughout it where we're going to flag and say, at this stage, you might want to talk to a solicitor, but at this stage, this is something that pills can support you with. So when we're talking about costs, for example, when we're talking about, you know, the potential risk that if the case doesn't go the way that you would hope, um, we flag that we have. And I think this actually makes us quite unique in terms of some of the organisations across the UK and Ireland and indeed in Europe that do similar work to us, that we do have a dedicated litigation fund and that we can provide the backing in terms of a cost indemnity in case the case doesn't go the way we all hope it will. Um, fortunately, our litigation fund has stayed quite topped up because we have been quite successful in the cases um, that we've supported. Um, but at, at, at each point, we're sort of flagging to people that if you're thinking about this, you can come to Pills and talk to us at this stage as well. Um, so that is that's the toolkit that we're working on at the moment. Hopefully um, after the end of November, it should be launched at that stage. So if you're listening to this a few weeks in a few weeks time, you might be able to go onto the Pills website and see it. But for now, we are just in the very, very final finishing touches stage in terms of design and making it beautiful and making it look lovely for people to access. So that's the toolkit that we're working on at the moment. I don't know, Maria, if there's anything you wanted to add or if there's any other projects that you wanted to to give a shout out to at the minute um well i was just thinking um because we were about to embark on a new project which shows the sort of range of um support that we can give so we've just recently um submitted an application to the law society to provide some training to solicitors so it's about building the capacity within the ngos and i think the the toolkit will very much be uh, directed at NGOs, although I think lawyers and solicitors will find it of use as well. But um, when we sat down at the start of this year and we looked at our sort of strategic priorities, we had decided as a team that and an organisation that one of our strategic priorities was climate justice. Um, because in Northern Ireland, the case law isn't maybe as developed as we would like it to be, or certainly as it is in other parts of the world. And so, you know, we've been providing support to the likes of the clean air case um, to another group called No Gas Caverns, who are challenging marine licenses that have been granted to drill into the seabed at a place called Island McGee, um, where uh, permission has been given to drill seven skyscraper size caverns into the seabed, which will create, uh, and I quote, dead zone for marine life. Um, so we have supported that case. But what we found, and even from our own experience, is that there's maybe a little bit of uh, reluctance because of maybe a lack of awareness of the legislation and all of what goes into taking a, a climate justice case forward. So we have proposed to the Law Society that we will develop a mini CPD course for solicitors um, in this jurisdiction 
on climate justice, which will hopefully engage more lawyers in this area, show them that they do have the skills and the attributes that are needed to advance um, climate litigation and to support the NGO groups that are working on these very important campaigns and issues right across the region. Um, so we're in the, just starting off the process of developing that training, which will be rolled out and delivered in um, February to April of next year. And which, as I say, will be specifically targeted to solicitors in Northern Ireland. And um, we're quite excited about that because as we have seen from our experience, it's, it's about a collaborative effort and it's about trying something it's about pushing the boundaries um, and it's about using the skills that we all have from our training and practice across a number of areas that are it's directly transferable it's just a matter of um, equipping yourself with the knowledge and the information that you can then use to be of of assistance and to support these types of cases so we're looking forward to to rolling that out no that sounds super cool and um I mean, the whole time I, I was muted, but the whole time I'm like, oh my God, like even my little reactions, but no, I think that's so important to, you know, like you said, capacity building. And that comes with also providing trainings, also providing toolkits and resources that other solicitors are able to access. So then you can further develop these partnerships and, you know, your scope is going to get bigger at that point. You're, you know, you're kind of working and giving the ability for other organizations to take on similar cases like this that are really important. Like you said, I mean, a whole dead zone, like there's just, there's so much going on with climate crises now. And there's so much going on with like cases across the UK. It's, it's really good to see that you all are creating toolkits and kind of engaging actively with this kind of litigation and yeah that's I'm super excited to see this toolkit I'm super excited to yeah, I'm continuously hearing about the work that you're going to do around climate um switching gears a little bit I know the now passed um, Northern Ireland Troubles Legacy and Reconciliation Act has been unwelcomed by the UN Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights saying that they deeply regret the passage of the bill and PILS has been opposing this act. Could you give us a little bit more details as to why? Sure, no problem. Um, Natalia, for us um, and for any human rights organization working in this jurisdiction, the legacy legislation um, in, in form of the, the act that, as you say, has now passed is really undermining our peace settlement in Northern Ireland. It is unique in that it has united the political parties of Northern Ireland in opposition. There is no political party in Northern Ireland that supports this legislation. This is a UK government piece of legislation and ultimately it has been advanced to protect um, army veterans from litigation. And that is essentially what is at the root at the, at the core of this. Victims' rights um, groups across um, the North are united in their opposition. And as you have said, UN bodies are also um have been very vocal and forthright in their um, affirmations that this um, legislation is potentially because it's being challenged at the moment, but we would say in breach of international human rights standards. Um, it undermines the rights of victims. It undermines the right of people to access justice. Um, and really we have been on such a positive journey towards reconciliation and justice for victims of the troubles. It's by no means perfect, but 
it is really positive. And we are getting to a place where some of the underlying tensions are starting to dissolve because of initiatives that have come out of the peace settlement to try and address the wrongs of the past. And this legislation is almost wiping out the ability to do that because it will um, prevent further litigation from going through the courts and it will um, allow uh, impunity from some, for some of the most serious human rights violations. Um, and I mean, it just to, to us, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to start this, to bring this up now and really to, to um, stoke up old tensions of the past because families have been on a course of seeking um, justice through the courts. Some of them are about to start and now they're being told you can't do that. You have to go to this new body that we're going to set up, but it's not, it's not a court of law um, and potentially no one will be brought to justice for what happened to you and your family. Um, it, it has just been so unnecessary um, uh, in our view. And really, as I say, it has caused new tensions or old tensions um, to come to the fore again. And particularly in light of a post-Brexit um, world that we are trying to come to terms with, that is just really really adding insult to injury. Um, and PILS stands with all those organizations who, who are fighting to oppose it. And we are here to support uh, in any way we can um, and challenge in this legislation. There are a number of um, challenges have already been lodged with the court and um, we will see, we'll be watching obviously with interest as to what happens there. But, you know, this is, it, it, it's almost, um, you know, when when the government talks about trying to prevent litigation, I mean, they're just create, it's similar to the Illegal Migration Act, you know, talking about, um, you know, trying to stop blocking up the courts or whatever they say, you know, really that they're giving us a reason to go to court because um, they are creating new violations and um, challenges uh, against what they're, what they're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love that you made the connection between this and also the legal migration act. Um, I guess, like you said, you know, pills is there to kind of provide support um, in this ongoing process as well. Um, and you did briefly kind of mention before the types of services that PILS does provide. Um, Emma, could you give us a little bit more detail and describe for our listeners kind of what that would look like? So in terms of the services that PILS offers, they can be broadly broken down into two distinct areas. So there's financial services and there's legal support services. So in terms of the legal support services, this can be anything from an initial phone call. As Maria mentioned, she maintains her practicing cert. So if somebody from our membership and our membership is made up of over 140 local organizations in Northern Ireland. It's almost a 50-50 split between solicitor firms and local human rights organizations. So any of those, our membership is free of charge. Anybody can, can pick up the phone and sort of pick our brains essentially on 
an issue that they think has a wider impact. You know, it's it's something that maybe if their organization has an advice line, they're getting lots of questions in about. Or maybe if they're a solicitor firm, they've had a few people coming in regularly with the same issue. And if they're starting to see trends, they can pick up the phone and have a conversation with us about that. Um, if it progresses a little bit, usually what ends up happening is that one of our other support services um, is usually brought into bear, and that is overseen by my colleague Kate. Kate Barry is our, our pro bono coordinator, and essentially what Kate does is work very closely with a brilliant community. Again, this is all about going back to the collaboration and the solidarity point that we were talking about earlier. There's a brilliant community of pro bono legal practitioners that have said, yes, we are happy to work with PILS members on public interest issues, on human rights and equality questions that they have. So we have a brilliant um, group of over 100 people now at this stage um, that comprises local barristers, solicitors, legal academics who have been supportive of PILS members in all sorts of ways, whether it's from, as Maria was talking about earlier, um, having a consultation with groups and, and working through, okay, well, this is the issue that you have and finding the legal basis and finding where the challenge could be and, and thinking about strategically the best way to do that, thinking about who the best client might be. You're starting to craft a case right from the ground up. Um, Sometimes then, usually there's an awful lot of requests for pro bono legal opinions. So essentially a nice piece of legal analysis to, to put all that down in paper. And if then that there's the decision made is to go to court, um, an awful lot of people on our register have said that they're happy to provide representation to, which is an amazing thing. And I, I think when we're recording this, I'm conscious that coming up on the 6th of November is going to be the start of UK Pro Bono Week, which is a week long celebration of the practitioners all across the UK that do this type of work. So just a shout out as well to everybody that's on our pro bono register and has been supporting pills in this um, for, for years and years. You know, there's lots of moving parts, but um, the, the main key thing that we're looking for throughout it is where's the public interest and how can we take the smartest case to maximize the impact? No, that honestly, knowing that there's only four people on your team and hearing the list of your services, my brain goes, how, how are you managing to do all this? That's amazing. <laughs> so impressive. And I mean, it, and adding on to this, you know, you recently launched an amazing podcast, as we mentioned earlier, To Be Fair Northern Ireland, the first ever Pills podcast series about life-changing legal cases that create positive impact, not just for one person, but for communities across Northern Ireland. Could you give us a little bit more information about this? Emma, do you just want to explain the title of it as well? Just for <laughs> the crack, as we say. <laughs> just for the crack. Um, so the thing about it is that I suppose we've been talking an awful lot about public interest and human rights and equality issues. So there's fairness at the core of that. So we wanted to reflect the nature of our work in the title of the podcast too. But as all good podcasts are, we talked about this just before you started recording, Natalia, is that we wanted it to be conversational. We wanted it to be an insight into the PILS team and not just the work we do that you can see publicly, but how we do that work as well. So we wanted to try and capture that in a conversational title. Obviously, then we wanted to try and reflect the fact that it's a Northern Ireland specific podcast too. And the people we'll be talking to will predominantly be, though not always, probably be working in Northern Ireland. 
So the way I see now, now you're going to make me say it. <laughs> so, so when we thought, well, we'll put NI into the title of the podcast, but that also quite works quite well. Because if you were saying, to be fair, usually if you're ever talking to anybody that's based in Northern Ireland, there'll usually be a NI, you know, attached on to the end of it. So there's a few different ways that you could say the title of our podcast. It could be very formal, to be fair, NI, or it could be, to be fair now and so it works on multiple levels <laughs> no we were yeah, also I'm like okay to be fair now I like that <laughs> oh love it so that is that's the title and we've launched it very recently again Natalia I have to thank you because you were one of the people that I spoke to before the podcast went live to to get your top tips on what makes what makes a good podcast and how to set yourself up for success so thank you for that as well but really what we wanted to do is give people a way to deep dive into our work that didn't involve sitting down in front of a screen and scrolling because as you've heard from both Maria and I's answers um, sometimes it can take a while to explain what it is we do and how we do it and um, in this world of ever shortening attention spans and scrolling on to the next thing trying to get that across in a tweet or even sometimes on website articles isn't always the way that people want to engage. So we thought podcast is a nice way to be able to spend time and to, and to talk to those people and hear their voices directly. So the way that we have started off is that we have dipped our toe into the podcasting world by launching a mini series that focuses on that clean air challenge that Maria was talking about earlier. So we've sort of gone back to the very beginning and explained our services, explained how that partnership and that very trusted partnership that you talked about has built up with Friends of the Earth over a number of years, um, taking it all the way through the, the ups and downs, the, the, the legal roller coaster, I think, and emotional roller coaster that we've all been on over the past few years, um, because this was a case that was initially, we thought maybe going to... Um, potentially be applied for and we were thinking of applying for leave before the pandemic hit so there's been a, ser a number of stop starts in the case so again to, to to give I think people an insight into what actually goes on like when you talk about taking a case in the public interest how long sometimes it can take or how quickly in other ways things can happen it's to bring people I think behind the scenes and give you well, maybe not quite a warts and all because it's, you know, I did edit it, but it's as honest as we can possibly be about how emotional it is and sort of the personal and professional um, things that can happen when you're thinking about going to court. Um, so there's three episodes. Um, we speak to um, the children, the Northern Ireland Children's Commissioner about their involvement. We speak to um, Laura, who is a solicitor with Friends of the Earth, who Maria mentioned is 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 on maternity leave at the moment. So we get everybody in. Um, we're hopeful that we have put it together in a way that even if you weren't that interested in public interest litigation beforehand, the story is good. I think the people that are involved in it are just <laughs> are so amazing and so compelling um, that it will be a nice gateway into the rest of our work. Um, 
And that's what our plan is for the end of this year as well, is to to start a series. Um, series one's going to focus, I suppose, more on the Pills Project and, and who we are and the work that we're doing and some of the organisations that we work very closely in partnership. We're part of a human rights partnership, very catchy title, more acronyms, the HRP, and we work alongside um, participation and Practice of Rights, the Committee on the Administration of Justice and the Human Rights Consortium, three other Northern Ireland human rights organisations that work in a different way to us. Um, but we all combine our efforts together and push for change. So um, we'll be showcasing some of the work that goes on in the shared office building that we all inhabit together in Belfast. So we'll be bringing people into Community House to show them what, what's going on around there. But um, I think as well, the nice thing is that we can we can go into a bit more detail, I think, about the the priority areas that we've selected for this year too. Um, Maria's already mentioned that we're very focused on on climate justice. We're also looking into ways that we can um, challenge and push back against the hostile environment and also look at ways that we can collectively come together to protect and defend the human rights infrastructure that we all are witnessing attempts by the current government to chip away at or even try to dismantle um, in certain cases. So again, the podcast gives us a bit more time to dig into those meaty subjects and talk about why we care about it and also what Pills is doing about it. Um, so watch this space. To be fair now, is coming, <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> No, I love that. And I'm super excited to continue to listen because I mean, even just from our conversation today and just the different types of cases that you take on and as well, hearing the different kind of impacts it has on people in Northern Ireland. I feel like I don't often hear that portion of it, which is so important. I think, you know, like you were saying, it's really easy to kind of bite into these chunky pieces in a podcast that makes it more accessible for everybody. Uh, all credit to Emma for the quality of the editing and um, how engaging the, the mini series has been because we have received some brilliant feedback and it's all credit as I say to the hard work and um, perfectionism tendencies of Emma to get it uh, so, so good uh, someone said to me who did your editing and who you know and I said well Emma did it all <laughs> so uh, no we're really we're really proud of it and uh, really happy that uh, Emma has got it to the stage that it's at so it's it's exciting it's very exciting Thank you again to Maria and Emma for the brilliant work that they do at PILS. It is amazing to hear that such a small team is able to provide such a wide-ranging support. To get more information about PILS, make sure to check out their website and social media pages, which is included in our show notes and social media. Also, make sure to check out their podcast, To Be Fair Nye, wherever you tune into your podcasts. Like always, listeners, don't forget to like, comment, and share this podcast. Don't forget that you can always listen back to our episodes on our Podbean website, podcast streaming services, and social media pages. We'll catch you next time.